Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, I hope you're enjoying all this wonderful weather in Myrtle Beach. Did you guys get out yesterday and enjoy the sun? And this week, I think, is going to be fun as well. Have, have, you ever, uh, have you ever been accused of something you never did? Isn't that a bad feeling? Have you ever been unable to convince people of it? That is even worse, isn't it? I mean, at one time, this is, I debated whether to tell this story, but now that I'm saying I'm debating it, I'm going to have to tell it. So. <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it's a story that where you just get, you get accused of something and you, like, you know that you're, you know you're just innocent. And I mean, I was a, you know, friend, a couple of friends of mine, surfing, Riceville Beach, tired, we're kids, we go to the grocery store, we have no money, so we get the basic three food groups for surfers, Twinkies, uh, we knew bananas were good for you, so we got bananas and we got milk. That's a nice combination, let me tell you. And, uh, you know, so we're sitting outside, this is, you know, this is eons ago, but we're sitting outside laughing, having a good time, and I start making like I'm throwing up, I know, you know, and it's in this downtown, and on this cop car pulls up, police car pulls up and says, you boys on drugs? Like you would say yes if you were, but, uh, you know, said, no, sir, we're surfers, you know, <laughs> and... Uh, and he puts us in the police car, and he hauls us off to jail. And he puts me in a jail cell, and he lets the other two go because I won't shut up. And uh, <laughs> because I just keep saying, you can't do this. You can't do this. I haven't done anything wrong. You can't do this. You can't do this. And he goes, oh, yes, I can't do this. And uh, it was typical 60s, man, just like out of Easy Rider or something like that, you know. And so I keep telling him, no, 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 no. And I'm, then the more I'm in there, the scareder I'm starting to get, you know. And I'm like, maybe they can lock me up for bananas, milk, and Twinkies. I don't know. Maybe I don't know the law as well as I think I do. And, and uh, actually, a guy that comes to this service in the third service came and got me out. He owned the surf shops here in Wrightsville Beach. Frankie came down to the police station and said, you can't keep these kids from eating bananas and <laughs> Twinkies and, you know, milk and let me out. But I had already called my lawyer by then. And, uh, you know, Mr. Tim, they arrested me for bananas and, you know, and, and uh, but it's a bad feeling. It's just a horrible feeling when uh, all of your time is being taken up that you want to do things and then you're being accused of something. Now, this is nowhere on the scale of that, but it's the silliest story I have in my life of that. And that is, we've been dropping in on conversations, and that is conversations that Jesus has had with people along the way to the cross. And as we said when we launched this three weeks ago, around John 12, in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, everything shifts. All of a sudden, his focus is not so much to the healing of people and to the feeding of the, of the thousands of people and, and all. Now he is zeroed in on his destiny of making it to the cross. And so we go from this book of, of wonders and book of kind of like signs, as they call it, prior to the second half of, of Jesus' life, and that is the, the book of glory, basically. Because we see, we see the cross a little bit differently in that most of us watch these movies and we hear the stories of Jesus going to the trial and all, and we feel so sorry for him, don't we? 
But John's gospel is not like that. John's gospel is a celebration. It's not that the, the crucifixion was not the bottom of it. It was the pinnacle of all that Jesus came to do. And so through John's gospel, there is this emphasis and this focus on something wonderful is about to happen. Not this sadness that, oh, poor Jesus is, is you know, being tortured. And that was very true. But this was at his, he allowed himself to go this way for a purpose, for the purpose of our lives and the purpose of the future of what his father had for the kingdom of God. And so when we read this and we make our way through these stories out of John, we kind of want to keep in mind that, that John is headed somewhere with this to a glorious place. And today we are right there at the trial of Jesus with Pontius Pilate. Pilate is a governor in the Roman, uh, with the Romans. He is a powerful man. Matter of fact, he is the only man who can give a death sentence to someone he has maybe 150 horsemen, cavalry at his disposal, and 5,000 foot soldiers. So anything in these three different states, these three different areas where he rules and reigns, he can take care of pretty quickly. He's a despised person. The Jews hate him. A lot of people hate him. He's ruthless, he's arrogant, and he's insecure. And so we're going to take, we can't go through, there's so much in here, so I would encourage you to read the whole trial, every bit of it from all four Gospels, but uh, we're going to take a part of it, and that is where Jesus was having his conversation with Pilate and see what we can take away from it today. Now, if you go back to the setting, Jesus is in a garden, and he's in a garden. Isn't it funny how a garden seems to show up at some very momentous times? And uh, Jesus is in a garden with his best friends. He has been there many times. Many times, this is where they go to pray. This is where they go to get away uh, from people. And a lot of times, these gardens were owned by very wealthy people. These old olive trees, uh, thousands of years old, and and they would allow people to go in and find a respite, find a place to hide out for a while. And that's what Jesus would do. And so his disciples would go as a private place for him, in a way. And well, let's not forget that one of his disciples was Judas, right? So he. He knew this place, and Jesus knew that Judas knew that he knew this place very well. And so they go to pray, and the other Gospels, we read the stories how, you know, they can't stay awake. They don't understand how important this moment is, like many of us don't sometimes. And and, uh, they fell asleep on Jesus. They just couldn't stick it out with him and praying. And he said, can't you just pray one hour with me? Can't you just stick it out with me one hour Because they didn't get it. They didn't get where this was going. And, of course, they fall asleep every single time. And so in the midst of this night, this is a very long night because all of the things that we've been talking about over the last three weeks and the next two weeks is all done in just a few hours' time. So this is late at night. And if you can imagine, in, in that grove of olive trees, in that garden, and suddenly here come the torches with the soldiers with the Jewish leaders, soldiers, and some believe Roman soldiers as well, marching along because Pilate would have known everything that's going on. He's not a man that he would know every little detail, and things had to have his approval before they were done. And so they're making their way to the garden to find Jesus, and that's where we're going to join him. So Jesus knows this is happening. He knows they're coming for him. That's why his focus shifts so much 
in John 12. And as we move on into John 18 here, next week, we're going straight to the cross, onto the cross for a conversation. And uh, these soldiers come up to him, and the minute they get to him, if you, if, as we read in this passage, it says, Jesus went out. In other words, he knew they were coming, but like the man that he is and he was, he didn't run from it. He didn't go and hide behind an olive tree. He, he didn't try to say this shouldn't happen. He actually steps forward to say, who are you looking for? I mean, isn't that a real leader? Because we've got so many failed leaders in this story. We've got Caiaphas and Annas and Herod and Pilate. We've got these leaders, not to mention what, Peter and these guys and Judas and all that kind of bail out on him at the last minute. But Jesus, who is the epitome of a leader, steps into his destiny, not stepping back. Here they come. Who are you looking for? Like he knows it's him. And the guards, when they come up, as you read this, this portion of Scripture, it says they fall back. Which, in the scripture, it's kind of a picture of when you see royalty, but you're in the presence of something and there's a force there that causes you to draw back when you see it. With them not even knowing exactly what's going on here. That power of that moment and that glorious part that was Jesus, 100% human, 100% God in that moment because he steps forward into his place in history and in our destiny, the, the soldiers and all fall back. Even without almost, invo- it's an involuntary respect of sorts. Who is the king here? And who is really leading this? And who is in charge here? And they fall back and, and then they step forward. And Jesus didn't hide. He didn't run like Adam and Eve in the first garden. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? You know, we're hiding. Why? You know, Jesus is like, who are you looking for? Got nothing to hide, nothing to run from. Here I am. So make it there. And, you know, it reminds me, too, of just a few chapters over. Uh, there's this I am trilogy. Uh, three times we hear, see Jesus say, I am, I am, I am. You remember this back in Exodus? Three, you see, I tell you, nobody can synchronize this stuff. Can you imagine this? I mean, all 1,500 years, you know, so before, here is, here is Moses going, who sent me? Who sent me? I am, I am, I am. And now, back just before they get to the garden of this situation, Jesus says three times, I am, I am, I am. It's a setup for everything, and it's coming, but nobody is seeing it except Jesus. And he knows he's got to walk through it. So Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken before the high priest. He's been taking, taking the, if you read all the different gospel accounts, he's run from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And uh, one sends him somewhere. Caiaphas wants him dead for sure. Herod wants to make fun of him, um, have him do some magic tricks because he's heard he heals people and things like that. So he brings him in and, and you know, Jesus won't even speak to him. Won't even defend himself. He won't say anything. He's like, nothing. Nothing in his defense. Absolutely nothing. Gets sent back to Pilate. And Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome, we know that he existed now because in 1961 they found artifacts that confirmed uh, his character and where he ruled and all. So you see, there's still 
discovering things about Scripture to help confirm it for us. So you just keep hanging in there and reading and studying. You keep seeing more truth and you keep seeing more support for uh, this whole amazing story of Christ. And so Pilate was a real governor in, in this area for Rome, probably served about 10 years. And uh, it's, a, it's a long story. Then there's Herod, the, you know, the Jewish king. Uh, Jesus called him that fox one time. Herod is the one that had John the Baptist's head cut off. And Herod is a brutal person. But again, Jesus, <laughs> I'm not talking, you know, straight to the fox. Not going to do it. Because his time and his route has to be taken a certain way. It's also Passover. We're coming up on Passover, the high holy days of the Jewish belief. And, and so there's a lot going on. So let's join the conversation at John 18, verses 28 through 35. And uh, I'll read this and then I'll pray. Here we go. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus... From Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, We would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Father, bless your reading of your word this morning. Um, Lord, as we make our way to the cross, let us not miss the importance of this time. And Holy Spirit, would you come and lead us and teach us, open our hearts. I pray today, there, I know there are people in this room who are skeptical and people who are, but are still giving it a chance and wanting to hear the truth. And I pray that that truth of whom Jesus is and why he came would hit the hearts of, of them, but also ourselves again are fresh and anew today. So Holy Spirit, come, rule and reign in this place and in our hearts. And help me, Lord, in my own weakness. Give me the gift of teaching this morning. Help me, Lord, uh, bring what you want us to hear. And uh, Jesus, we love you. We love you so very much. Amen. You have a fill-in on the back side of your handout if you want to track along with me. And that first exchange that happened, I love Jesus' response. And he says, you know, he says this, Is that your own idea? It's like, did you come up with this yourself, that I'm a king? Or did somebody else tell you? And that's the, that's the question, isn't it? Whose idea was this anyway? Whose idea is all of this anyway? Is this just some happenstance, like dominoes falling, some really strange mathematical way that it just happened to line up, that a Jesus came, that a Jesus went through all of these 300 different prophecies through the Old Testament up to this time. Is that just some happenstance, random possibility where only eight of those prophecies, just to see eight of those prophecies fulfilled would be like one to the 10 to the 17 zeros behind it. Just eight of them. And there were 300 fulfilled. Is this just some random? Who came up with this idea? Why do we have this idea of Jesus? Why have him anyway? Why do we need him? 
whose idea was it? And that's the question Jesus asked Pilate. Hey, did you come up with this yourself? Or has somebody else told you about me? Well, everybody was talking about Jesus. But they can't decide. The religious leaders had decided he's not who he says he is because he's a threat. The political leaders now are wondering, like, you know, if you say you're a king, we can't have two kings. We can only have one king. Caesar is king. Anyone that comes along and says they're a king is a threat to Caesar. So you can't be a king. Did you say you were a king? What kind of king is this? Your own people have shackled you, brought you in here. They want you dead. And I can give you life or I can give you death. You're a king? Who came up with this? Who told you this? Listen, this, I keep this written on the inside of uh, every Bible that I have because I just like to be reminded. I don't, did we get these up, these uh, 40 different authors? And did I get the list sent to you? I didn't get it sent to you. Okay, 40 different authors. Listen to this. 40 different authors from 20 different occupations from 10 different countries over a 1,500 span. That's the writers writing over 1,500 years, right? In three different languages, with 2,930 different characters at play during this time. Located in 1,551 different places. 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,000 verses, 774,746 words, 3,567,000 letters. And as I said, over 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus And what happened? It just got thrown up into the air and it landed on the ground and out came this idea of Jesus. Now, even even if you're a skeptic, you've got to consider that. You've got to go, what kind of book is this? It would have this kind of backing because if it was any other book that had these kind of statistics about it, you would be talking about it constantly. Who came up with this idea about Jesus? Well, let's, let's see who it is. 1 Peter 1.20. 1 Peter 1.20 says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He was chosen before the world was ever made. Jesus was chosen. He was sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he was chosen to do this very thing. To be at this very moment in time right now. As he is here right now. Just from the foundations of the world. That's whose idea it was. It was God's idea. All along. And things are moving that way. And again, Pilate cannot see it because he doesn't have eyes to see. He's seeing it from strictly political viewpoint of what's best for him and how can he keep the peace and how can he leverage this situation even though Pilate has found nothing wrong with Jesus. There is no reason to kill him, to execute him. But the Jews hated Pilate anyway. He took their money. He took the money from the temple. He, he built an aqueduct. That's that's a good thing, get water to people. But he took the offerings from the church to do it with. He came into the cities and he would raise the Roman standards and put them everywhere, around the temples, everywhere to say, Caesar is Lord and I'm in charge. He fired the temple uh, officials and he would put his own in. 
And the Jewish people hated him. And he detested them. So you've got religious going on that can't see it, cannot see what Jesus is about, what the idea is about. And you've got the political system who cannot see what Jesus is about. That sounds very familiar to me. Everybody wants to hijack Jesus and they miss the whole story right in the middle of it. That God the Father sent him from before the foundations of the world so that he could reconcile a people back to himself and bring his kingdom, his rule, and his reign back to us individually, us corporately. And one day, one day, that grand finale of the eternity, he comes back to earth and renews all things. And we have it like it was supposed to be all along. People are still missing him. And Pilate certainly missed him. And that's not all. Think of this. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Look at this. Jesus, yes, was God's idea. But look at this. For he chose us, that should be us, not used, but us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for, an adoption, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. For he chose us in him when? The same time. I mean, when Jesus, when God made the plan to send his son, the plan, why did he send his son? Because the plan was to redeem us. The whole thing began way before this world ever began. There was a cycle that was about to come. And now in Jesus Christ, when you read the Old Testament and you see Israel trying so hard and failing one time after all, again and again and again, you see Jesus coming from the first garden into the second garden. Well, he will end up in a third garden, only outside of the tomb. And Israel, the Passover lamb, has made it into the promised land of victor. Once and for all. Who came up with this? Who could come up with this? Only God himself could come up with this. What a glorious story. And and the story is for us. It's for us today. So you're, you know, you're his choice before the foundations of the world. Because Jesus would not have had to come had you not been created. And I... And fallen away. So God had a plan all along to get us back. That is his plan. It was God's plan. Your second feeling is this. And this question that uh, I always thought. There were, there were two phrases in the Passion of the Christ. Uh, that when I watched that movie. One is, is this when Pilate says, what is truth? And the other is when he says, eke homo. Which is, behold the man. And uh, those two statements by him, you know, just are volumes. They speak volumes. But your second feeling is, what is truth? What is truth? In 1823, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And then in verses 37 through 38, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. What is truth? That's it because you've got the 
the religious people saying this is truth. You've got the political people saying this is truth. And then you have Jesus saying truth is very important. In the book of uh, the Gospel of John, truth is, I, I counted the numbers in, in the Gospel, but even in just four or five verses, five times the word truth is used. And I think it's something like 53 times through the uh, Gospel of John. Way, a whole lot more than any of the other Gospels. And there's another word that's used in John, king, over and over and over again. What is John trying to get us to see? It is the truth that Jesus is the true king. Over and over. But that just pushes up against the political and it pushes up against the religious leaders of that day. What is truth? Because if you don't know what truth is, then where do you go? How do you make decisions? How do you live your life? What do you place your hope in? What you define truth as means everything. And Jesus keeps reiterating over and over again, I am truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to me but through, no one comes to the Father but through me. The way is truth. And the way and the truth has life in it. So Jesus keeps preaching it and preaching it. And he keeps saying it to Pilate. You know, Pilate asked all the right questions for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> he does. You know, it's one thing if you're talking to someone and you're seeking and you're searching and you're looking for truth. It's another thing when you're making fun of someone and you're just trying to put them off. Why do you ask questions like, what is truth? You ever had an argument with somebody over truth? I, I, you know, I have a couple of atheist friends that you've heard me mention before, and they just say, you believe that. That's your truth, Tim. That's your truth. That's your truth because you're so insecure. He's not, he's not far off. <laughs> Without the truth, it's a very insecure feeling. Without knowing some truth, something that anchors your feet into something solid and immovable then indeed it's a very insecure feeling to go through life with the people you love in a world that honestly you do love and you care about and not have one bit of truth to try to frame it in such a way that it makes sense and you can be a part of it. So what is truth? Makes all the difference in the world how you answer that. Pilate answered it as basically saying it's whatever you want to make it. Whatever you want to make it. To me, I have a pathetic individual in front of me that I find no reason to have no reason to have crucified but I have these other people yelling at me who are pathetic as well there is no truth in this except Rome and Caesar's truth what's expedient is truth aren't you glad Jesus didn't go I could right at that moment call down all these angels call his disciples Pick up your sword, start fighting, and call the angels and say, I'm, I'm done with this. But no, that's not the truth of the love of God. He had to see it through, and the truth carried him through. And how you answer that question, what is truth? Because truth is a person. Truth is the person of Jesus Christ. What he taught us, how he tells us to live, his spirit that he puts inside of us, the spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. And it all starts there with him. And Pilate had a chance. He had an opportunity to answer that question in a redeeming way for himself at that moment. But he didn't. But he didn't. Listen to these scriptures. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth will set you free. 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Do you like that? Full of grace and truth. You can handle the truth about yourself if you have the same amount of grace to come with it. And that's what this cross is about. That's the grace of God moving straight toward the truth of our need. And it's going to have a collision in just a few hours after this conversation. And how we answer that, whether he is the truth, makes all the difference in our freedom from this point on. Who is the truth? What is the truth? For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. What is the truth? Jesus. He is the truth. And your last feeling is this, the question. Jesus says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. The last question is, who is the real king here? (laughs) Who is the real king? In the midst of this, who is the king? Who is standing? Who is really in control of all of this? From the moment that he turned his face in John 12 toward the cross, he has been moving absolutely confident in where he was headed. When he gets to the garden, he steps forward. And he even tells the soldiers, he says, let my friends go. He protects his friend like a good leader would do. He says, let them go. Here I am. You're looking for me. Let my friends go. Jesus, the leader, steps forward. He's on his way there. Who is in charge? Who is the king? Who stands in front of Herod? And Herod makes fun of him and brings out a people. Do some tricks for us, Jesus. Heal some people. You know, levitate, whatever. Do whatever you can do. Show us. Ha, ha, ha. And he sits there. Because a king doesn't have to answer anybody. A king doesn't even need to justify who he is. He's confident in who he is. He's confident in what's happening in the world. He knows where it's headed. And he's just doing the walk of a king straight to the throne from whence he came. Who is the king in this? Jesus says, I've got a kingdom that's not of this world. And what he means is it doesn't act like the kingdom I'm looking at right now. (laughs) You know, you, Pilate, and your boss, no, not the king. Caiaphas, Annas, you know, you guys, not the king. Yeah, my kingdom doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like this. This is why you don't recognize me for the king that I am, because my kingdom doesn't look like this. But you will see it. You will see my kingdom. Jesus will go straight to the cross voluntarily all the way to it and into the grave because he's the king. You see how John's perspective changes things? When John sees this, he sees this as a powerful moment. Jesus could have escaped. He could have taken off, but he didn't because he is the king. He is in control of this moment and he's doing exactly what he wants to do because this was planned from the very beginning of time. And now it's come down to a few hours Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes, the truth will set you free. I am the way, the truth, the life. Again this morning, just like Pilate heard it all those many years ago, you get to make a choice. Who is the truth? What is the truth? Who is the king in your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray for bold hearts, courageous hearts, in a way to be willing to submit this morning to your glory and to your grace, Lord. To your grace to respond to this call. For whom do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And I want to give you an opportunity to respond now. And if you would say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for me. And I want to begin my journey. I want to make a public declaration today that He is my Lord and Savior. He is my King. I want you to raise your hand to me so I can pray for you. Just lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. There's something about making a public declaration that does something in our heart. So if this is your day, lift your hand and say, this is me. Today is my day. Today is my day. From this point on, I will follow the King. Come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Honestly, he stood before Pilate for us. <laughs> so that this day we would know. That through his grace and his truth and his love and his mercy, we too could stand and go, I'm with him. (laughs) I'm with him. I'm with the king. I'm with him. Come, Lord, and wash away every sin because your grace and your mercy is great. It's poured out on the cross for all of us. So come through the hearts of those who have surrendered to you and wash through, Father, with your amazing glorious, wonderful grace. Forgive and bring new life and new hope. Come, Lord. And for us, we church people who get so sidetracked in life and with good things sometimes, Lord, family and business and Concern and all kinds of things that we forget the question to us. Who do you say I am? Because the truth is, Lord, we can trust you. Where you find truth, you find trust. And so, would you reacquaint us with that moment? <laughs> like you step forward when all your friends would just leave you step forward would you reacquaint us with that that you are here and you have stepped forward for our lives and because you love us and you're calling us to your kingdom your rule and your reign a new life God would you remind us of that this morning as we your followers of Jesus Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. 
You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church. Thank you.